Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is my colleague Joe Healy, and we are here to wrap up uh, what was an exciting week 10 of college baseball. A couple big SEC series as Vanderbilt beat Mississippi State and Arkansas beat South Carolina. Those are both top 10 showdowns. Baylor upset Texas Tech. And there were some big comings and goings in, in Conference USA, or goings-ons, I suppose, in Conference USA in, in a couple of those series. So we're going to get into all of that and more here on today's show. But first, the Baseball America College podcast is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, it was uh, it was an exciting weekend of, of baseball around the country. We had a couple big time top 10 SDC series that, you know, I mentioned one by Arkansas and Vanderbilt. Uh, and uh, th- those were those were very exciting. Uh, you were able to to be at one of those as as Arkansas beat South Carolina in a series that feels like it happened two weeks ago. But uh, really, it, when they when they run these Thursday to Saturday series, sometimes it already feels like uh, they happened a long time ago. By the time we get here to Monday, they're just sometimes so much happens on Sunday. You're like, oh yeah, that's right. That series, uh, it was actually this weekend. It ended on Saturday, but this time, you know, with the Thursday to Saturday series being pushed up as Arkansas was against South Carolina by rain. So they finished it Friday night. Uh, I mean, it, it really sometimes gets lost, but you were there. So I know it didn't get lost for you. And it was a top 10 series, so it, it had some significant implications. And, yeah, so I, just what uh, – you, you have some thoughts, I'm sure, about seeing Arkansas in person. I think that was also your first time at Founders Park there in Columbia, one of the, the gems of college baseball. So, uh, you know, take it kind of wherever you want it with, uh, with regards to, to the Hogs and the Gamecocks. Well, I'm going to start in the obvious place, and that's – the video board in left field seems too high. <laughs> I slacked you this at the beginning of the weekend and, um, you know, it was hard to convey what I meant, but it's like the stanchions are like, I don't know, like six to eight feet too high. Like, and I don't know, maybe that's just me. Maybe, you know, part of it could be honestly that I haven't been outside of when I went to the big 10 opening weekend in Greenville, but that's a minor league park. So it has kind of a different feel to it. Maybe it's that I haven't been in a stadium that big this season. Cause I'm trying to think of like other stadiums I've been in. It's like, you know, Boshamer at, at UNC is pretty big, but it's not quite that big in terms of like having seating all the way around. Anyway, I don't know, but it just felt a little bit high to me. It was like, it's not a complaint, it's just an observation. My other thing is um, quickly, which of the two South Carolina musical cues is your favorite? 2001, A Space Odyssey or Sandstorm? Um, I feel like I like Cocky's dance to Space Odyssey more. Mm. It's been a couple of years since I've been in Founders Park, but I feel like that's Cocky's better dance. So I will go with 2001 Space Odyssey. That's a fair, it's a, that's a fair answer and a good way to look at it. We did not get a Cocky appearance this weekend, so I can't speak to his, uh, his prowess in that particular way. I, uh, I, I associate the 2001 Space Odyssey with like Ric Flair, the wrestler, because that was his, uh, 
entrance music in his career. Maybe that's part of why I have a stronger word association with that. The thing about Sandstorm is like, the first couple of times you hear it, you're like, you know, it's a very South Carolina thing that's very ingrained there. So like the first couple of times you hear it, you're like, this is pretty cool. And then times like five through 500, you're kind of like a little sick of it. But then at time 501, it comes back around. So that's the thing about, <laughs> about Sandstorm. I'll also say they, the, they, uh, they remix Sandstorm now. They've got like a little remix that goes with it. And that was, that was pretty good. Pretty, I liked the, the remix version a lot, which I know makes me sound like a hundred years old saying like, I liked that remix version, but I, but, uh, I did. I thought it was pretty cool. So regardless, uh, not, a, not a super great weekend on the field for South Carolina. Although, you know, they did get a, the one win. And I guess I don't want to downplay that too much because ultimately, you know, this was a series they were supposed to lose, even with it being at home against the top team in the country. And they did get a, a win out of it. But it, I think the reason why I think of it that way, it not being a great weekend for them, is it was, it was very clear that Arkansas was just the better team in just about every phase. And the, the place you might have thought South Carolina could come into the weekend with a little bit of advantage is, is look, you know, South Carolina – has a very set rotation at this point. And if they, they can get a little more length from their starting pitchers and maybe they can, you know, um, they can really just use it. They're the top bullpen guys they want to use in the specific spots they want to use them. And if they can stay on schedule, maybe they'll be in a good place. The, the thing about it was, is that Arkansas kind of played that game this weekend and just beat them at it. Um, you know, it was even in the second game, you know, Peyton Paulette got, you know, hit a little bit as, as his outing went on there but he was really pretty good. But Patrick Wicklander was excellent in the final game. And then in the first game, Arkansas played, you know, it's pitching game where it wants to split up the innings evenly among three or four different pitchers to absolute perfection. So really the advantage that the perceived advantage that South Carolina had in that, Hey, maybe, maybe Thomas Farr, you know, uh, turns in one of his better outings this season. And Oh, by the way, he did, and it wasn't enough. And then, you know, you get something similar, from Brandon Jordan and Will Sanders and that they just didn't, they didn't get that the rest of the weekend. And that ended up kind of being, um, you know, a difference there, even as South Carolina won that, won that middle game, it was, it was a good start for Brandon Jordan, but it wasn't, um, you know, wasn't his, his best by any stretch of the imagination, but they, they did a pretty good job holding down Arkansas's offense. It wasn't a super explosive weekend for Arkansas, but Arkansas clearly was the team swinging the bats better right now. They were, they were getting the big hits. They were coming through in the clutch, whether it was Robert Moore's home runs, um, you know, they extended at bats on the contrary, South Carolina's offense is just really scuffling right now outside of, they had two multi-run innings in the game they won, but outside of those two outbursts, that was, that was really it. They had two hits in the first and the third game of the series. And that's just not going to be enough to do it. And, and their stars are really kind of hurting right now. You know, West Clark. And they're a star powered offense. Indeed. Really Indeed. like they need Eister and Clark and um, Allen to, to drive them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, th- th- absolutely. They're they're you know, unlike Arkansas, right. Where like you get to the bottom of the Arkansas offense and like, you know, you might be able to, you know, pitch a little bit to the bottom part of the offense, but Casey Opitz is still a guy who's going to come up with big hits you know, Jacob Nesbitt is a guy who's going to come up with big hits. For that matter, Robert Moore technically hits in the second half of that lineup there. And we know what he's capable of. So they really can beat you one through nine. South Carolina really needs to beat you in the middle of that order. And West Clark goes one for 11 with six strikeouts. And, you know, they weren't good strikeouts to the extent that there's such a thing. Like it was a lot of kind of quick strikeouts and 
there were times where I would look at my computer to type something up and I would look up and somebody had struck out, you know, and just the amount of time it took me to, to do that. So it's a lineup that's really, really scuffling. And I thought it was instructive that after I read in the, the state, shout out to, to Greg Hadley, um, South Carolina beat writer for the state, he wrote in, in his piece wrapping up the series that Brady Allen in post game, I presume after the doubleheader had said that part of the issue is that hitters are going up to the plate right now, kind of looking to react as opposed to kind of going up there with plans. And I thought that was pretty clear in the five innings when they faced Kevin Copps. And look, you can have a perfectly good plan against Kevin Copps. And if his stuff is good, there's not a lot you're going to be able to do about it. And that was the case this weekend. He strikes out 12 of the 15 batters he faces in a total of five perfect innings. But, you know, I told you over Slack and I, I told, you know, I was talking in the press box to some of the other folks that were there. There were a lot of swings and misses on that Kevin Copps cutter that looked like swings and misses that were expecting four seamers. Like, they just didn't look like they had a real clear idea of what they were trying to do against Kevin Copps, which was all the more damning when you consider that Kevin Copps, all he was doing was throwing cutters at them. And so it just, those are, those are really ugly innings. And it just struck me as like being the, perfect embodiment of an offense that right now is just completely stuck in neutral. I've said plenty about Arkansas and we'll talk a little bit more about the Hawks here in a second. Um, But South Carolina, I just don't have a read for them. They've played, I would say now four premium weekends. If you want to extend it to Clemson, just because of what that rivalry means, I suppose we could extend it to five, but let's, Let's keep it to the or, or Georgia. You know, Georgia is now in the top 25. We have a new top 25 of Baseball America. Uh, ranked a whole bunch of new teams this week. Check that out. Um, you know, but if you look at it, if you look at they went to Texas, they went to Vanderbilt, they got Florida and now Arkansas at home. They have won five of those games. They're five and seven. Um, they got that big sweep of Florida and that's really carrying them to that, that five and seven record. Otherwise they just haven't really looked good. They did not look good at Texas. I watched a lot of that series. Um, Nothing about that weekend went their way. I mean, that's how you wind up getting swept, but nothing looked good. They looked very bad the first two days against Vanderbilt. That's Jack Leiter's no hitter credit to South Carolina for rallying and, and winning the third game on Sunday at a time when Vanderbilt was really scuffling on Sundays, but, you know, still credit credit for getting off the mat and doing that on the road. But I mean, they've just looked bad against the, the best teams on their schedule, I would say. And like, you can, you can say like, well, they did sweep Florida, but you know, Florida is also clearly not at the level of Texas, Vanderbilt and Arkansas. And look that nobody is right now. Those are the top three teams in the country. Um, but it also seems very clear and we can get to this with Mississippi State here in a second as well, that South Carolina is not ready to compete with those teams. They are not, at this point, a national title contender. That doesn't mean they can't win a regional. It doesn't even mean that they couldn't win a super regional. But it does mean that I don't see how that they could go to Omaha and uh, and show up and, and expect to, to compete for the national title there. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think – you're seeing some of that, I think, in the way the team talks about itself and even the way Coach Kingston talks about this team is that maybe maybe expectations outside of the program have gotten – have maybe outpaced where even the expectations inside the program. Well, that would be a first time in COLA. I've never heard of that happening down there before. 
But I, I also found out this weekend, by the way, that Soda City. I was not aware of Columbia called uh, the Soda City. Yeah, it's because they call it cola. Right. I thought it was kind of a neat little, uh, as, a, as someone who drinks far too much Diet Mountain Dew, I uh, appreciated <laughs> the Soda City. Um, but, you know, they've some of the, the quotes in the, in the postgame, you know, after the weekend were, were things talking about, you know, we're, you know, we're, you know, a good team, not a great team, which was was said was not a, a definitive statement on how good they are, but just basically that they're in the process of trying to become a great team. And, and Mark Kingston kind of echoed that he kept this, you know, he talked about a couple of times that this is, you know, kind of the part of the, our process to become what we want to become. And so it, um, you know, seems to suggest that, you know, they realize that like, this is, you know, this is not their final form, if there is a final form to be to be had, and whether that final form comes they're, they're run a little bit running out of time this season, but whether that final form comes this season or in the future of the program as they continue to build. But it, it, it does seem a little bit like, um, you know, maybe that being a top 10 team on a, on a few different occasions as time has gone on this season has maybe made expectations outpace what the reality for the team was. And, you know, that's easy to do. It's easy to get excited when it's like, well, Wes Clark is maybe the best power hitter in college baseball. And he can still finish strong and still end up being in that discussion. And Thomas Farr early in the season was, you know, shoving the baseball and he and Brandon Jordan looked like a, a one-two punch. that was going to be one of the better ones in the SEC. And, and so far they, to this point now, they've been, to use that phrase again, good, but not great in a lot of cases. So um, it is, a, you're, I think you're, you're exactly right. It's a good team. It's a team that is very capable of a deep postseason run. But if you're talking about national title contenders, they're just not, they're just not quite there. I mean, there is something to be said. You got to walk before you can run. Uh, we talked about this last week with Tennessee, Tony Vitello talking about how just playing that series against Vanderbilt with so much hype around it uh, would be helpful to them going forward. There's South Carolina, I'm sure has learned a lot by playing Texas, Vanderbilt and Arkansas now. Uh, but it also, you know, I, I, I do wonder though, you're talking about, you know, maybe it's not going to happen for them this year. And I'm, I'm here to suggest that as well. But I also kind of worry about like, well, they're going to lose an awful lot off of this team probably. And like, there are still players that are going to return and are going to have the experience and all the rest of it. But you know, you think about some of the players that you figure will leave or have to leave because they're seniors, uh, you know, Clark, Allen, Eister, Farr, Jordan. Um, there are a few other kind of more role players that are, are going to end up leaving as well, I'm sure. And I mean, wow, that's uh, all of a sudden, like that's a, that's a pretty significant core leaving. And, and I'm not saying South Carolina is going to take a big step back next, next year or anything like that. I mean, Will Sanders is showing that he can really pitch. And, you know, if that's your Friday night starter in a year, like that's uh that's a, that's a pretty good place to start. And, you know, who knows what Julian Bosnick will do or, you know, any number of other players that, that they have, they've recruited really well over the last couple of years and have another strong class coming in. So I, but, you know, I, I do think that, you know, this year it is a year to, to, you know, go out and do something, but it does seem like, even this year's team has a bit of a cap on it. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. I think it's a safe way to safe way to put it. I, I found fascinating. I'm curious your thoughts. I found fascinating for, for Arkansas. Um, this is such an interesting team. You know, I, I'm endlessly fascinated by it. It's been a journey with their pitching. I, you know, I came into the season like you did uh, just kind of dubious of like, yeah, you've got a lot of talented pitchers and, and 
you know, Dave Van Horn raved in the preseason about having never had a, a, this kind of talented depth on the mound. And you and I still kind of looked askance at it and said, well, yeah, but who are your starters? And then we come into this season and that's still a valid question, but all of a sudden it's like, okay, but here's the depth. So we understand they're just going to do it differently. And they still continue to do so. I, I would put their, I wrote about it after the game Thursday, like their Thursday win is a great example of like, we only got three and a third innings out of our starter, but so what, you know, we, we, we still controlled that game. We still were calling the shots we wanted to call. But then the second half of the weekend, you get a pretty good start from Peyton Paulette. And at this point, you know, he kind of is what he is where, you know, he really hasn't had the deep, deep starts, but you know, he gives you five or six every weekend that are pretty good. And then Wicklander comes out and does something that he really, he's had some nice moments this season, but this is, I think the, the best start he's had this season where it's, you know, seven really strong innings and was just in the rocking chair from beginning to end. And, and perhaps he was a pitcher perfectly suited to pitch well against this South Carolina offense that's struggling right now, because I'm here to tell you, it was a lot of like, here's a fastball over the plate and a first pitch swing and it's popped up to first base. Um, there was a lot of that. So I'm not out here saying that Patrick Wicklander was dominating, but I am fascinated by the idea now that like, it seems kind of unfair that like, Arkansas is now in a position where it's like, maybe they do with Paulette and Wicklander have a couple guys they can depend on to a certain degree. And on top of that, if they don't have that in a given weekend, like we'll throw the bullpen game at you. And I've said before this season, and I said on radio in Columbia, South Carolina, I was on, on the radio locally there on Thursday that, you know, the one place you can get Arkansas is because they're, well, yeah, it's just a little humble brag there, but, uh, <laughs> but the, the place you can get Arkansas a little bit is like, they don't, they don't get those types of starts. So if you can really land a knockout blow in the first inning, for example, and have a guy pitch two thirds of the inning, you maybe can tax their bullpen to the point where even a good bullpen like that is going to be spent by the end of the weekend. And I'm less convinced of that now, given what we saw from the starters over the weekend. Yeah. I, uh, I wouldn't have gone there the way you did. I mean, I, I've, I, uh, I guess I've been a little less I, – I, I was faster to accept Arkansas for who their pitching staff is than, than you were this year. And, um, you know, I just think that, you know, it, 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 it does change the game a little bit if Wickenander is going to start going seven. I don't know how regular that's going to be. Um, you know, as you mentioned, coming into this series, they were in a kind of difficult spot just – having to play six SEC games in six days, seven days, whatever it was, because of the, the rainouts they, they'd gone through and you know, throwing double headers into all of that. And, um, you know, I, I just think that uh, they've, got, they've got some really good pitchers that, that can do a variety of things, like Wicklander and Paulette and Vermillion who, and Bolden have all had success in a variety of roles. Um, Cops is maybe the best reliever in the country and they got plenty of other guys that they trust coming out of the bullpen. It doesn't just have to be the Kevin Cops show. This isn't like Ole Miss where if Broadway doesn't get it done, you're looking around like, okay, well, who is it then? Like, okay. If uh cops isn't available because he threw a bunch yesterday, like that's fine. We got other guys. And, you know, so I, I, I guess it is interesting that Wicklander, showed that he could do seven, but I mean, at the same time, like I knew that was in there because we'd seen that in previous years. Um, he just hadn't been asked to do it this year. And I, the, the endlessly fascinating thing to me about Arkansas is that they can play whatever game you want to play. Like you said, like 
this went more to South Carolina's script. Um, they just beat South Carolina at their own game. They they do that to teams. They it doesn't matter how you want to play a game, like they can play it with you and they'll probably beat you doing it. Yeah, and there was and there was little, I mean, like I said, it 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 in some ways it feels like a sweep. And I think part of that is because Arkansas had a standalone moment on Thursday. And then in the doubleheader, like doubleheaders are just always weird whenever they split and they often split, you know, because South Carolina wins a game and feels pretty good about itself and then comes right back out a couple hours later and loses again. And so it it does feel a little bit strange in that way. That's probably part of why it feels like a sweep, but it was also just that, you know, South Carolina's rally in that in game two turned up, you know, a, a two to nothing Arkansas lead into a South Carolina lead and then a victory within a matter of know half an hour 45 minutes and then they were right back out and, and losing again so there wasn't there wasn't a lot of time where it felt like South Carolina was really in, in control this weekend and it was just could not have been any clearer um, at this point that that Arkansas was just in, in in all phases was just better and they're they're more ready to win like this than than South Carolina is all right well we've got another top 10 SEC series to talk about and we'll get to that here in a second but first check this out Okay, Joe, the other top 10 SEC series was Vanderbilt hosting Mississippi State. This was a very intriguing matchup, both on and off the field. We mentioned before, these are two fan bases that don't really like each other. That'll happen when, in the last two NCAA tournaments, one of these teams ended the other season. And, you know, it, uh, it played out uh, in a, a pretty interesting fashion on Friday night. Kamar Rocker threw a complete game, his first CG of the year. He was in control all game long, beats Mississippi State. Uh, Then on Saturday, Mississippi State bounces back, gets to lighter, beats lighter, evens the series. And then on Sunday, the Bulldogs jump out to an early 4-0 lead. And, you know, you, you would be, it would be understandable if anybody thought like, okay, like here goes Vanderbilt on game three of an sec series again like is 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 this gonna is this gonna go their way like it doesn't look great but they stopped the bleeding and they scored the next seven runs and they won the game seven to four and honestly the game at the end didn't even feel like it was like it was a save situation i guess at the end but it didn't feel like that it didn't feel that close and uh vanderbilt comes away with another high-end series win uh, and you know, it, it, it's just, it seems like Vanderbilt is getting to a point where they're they're They understand how they need to win games. They're not a finished product. Uh, but even, even when they don't get to stick to, to a, a more typical script, you know, we're talking about how Arkansas wins playing your game. Uh, well, Vanderbilt probably still needs to stick to their script a little bit, but they are learning how to, how to do a little bit more. And, you know, the offense continues to be really impressive. They're finding some guys to step up in the bullpen. And so even if they don't win both of rocker and lighter starts uh, as they haven't for the last three straight weeks, now uh, they still have won two out of those three series. And they, the two series they won are against Tennessee and Mississippi state who are both, you know, legitimate top 10 teams, legitimate Omaha type teams. And uh, I, I think that just said a lot that they were able to get that done over the last two weeks. Yeah, I think it's, 
one of the things that stands out about Vanderbilt in this situation is that they're a team that they have this, you know, weakness is maybe strong, but this soft spot on Sundays where they're, they're not, they're certainly not as confident in what they have on the mound and they are the, as they are the first two days of the weekend, but they're still a team that on those days, they can have that off day and you still have to come out and play well to beat them. You know, they, they, we, we talk about the weakness on Sundays, but not a lot of teams have been able to do that. That's, that's something that teams have been able to take advantage of them a little bit, but Vanderbilt mostly finds a way they, they you know, they mostly get it done and they, they, you know, uh, in this case, it was, you know, the offense, you know, getting to Mississippi state pitching in the middle innings and getting some outstanding relief work. So there, there are certain teams that if you kind of knock them off their bearings and you're able to take advantage of their, their weaknesses, they, they don't really have like a, like a, a next gear. They don't really have like the zig when, when they started off sagging Vanderbilt does like, and that's, that's what makes them obviously the number two team in the country for a reason. But that's a big part of that is that, you know, okay, you know, we're going to get a third of an inning on Sunday and we're still going to find a way to come back and, and, and win that game and then and clinch the series when there are a lot of other teams that just wouldn't have, you know, there, there are a lot of teams we've talked about being flawed that just don't, don't have a way to kind of come back and, and fight that in that situation. And Vanderbilt just continues to do so. Yeah. I mean, you get punched in the mouth like that. It's hard for any team to, to fight back, but especially I think uh, a little bit of a younger inexperienced team like Vanderbilt still is and just ask Tim Corbin, he'll tell you, but uh, you know, they, they don't have, you know, they're playing a lot of, of freshmen and sophomores and even the more experienced guys weren't guys, uh, you know, in 2019, really with the exception of rocker and he's not helping uh, the offense figure it out on a Sunday. Um, I don't think <laughs> I know that, He's a, he's a good teammate and, you know, you see him cheering in the dugout and stuff, but uh, I, I don't think he's breaking down swings for them on, uh, on, on Sunday and helping that, you know, the, the offense find, find a way against the Mississippi state bullpen. But yeah, it's uh it's hard not to come away with what Vanderbilt's done over the last two weeks. Very impressed. Um, we can talk about this more in a second and we will, but you know, it, it, it sure looks like now, like when we're going to talk about national championship contenders in this season, it's Arkansas and Vanderbilt, and then it's everyone else. And, you know, this weekend definitely hammered that home. And, you know, like South Carolina, we're talking about having played Texas, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas, and having lost all three of those series going two and seven in that, in that stretch. Um, Mississippi State has now played both. Arkansas and Vanderbilt and gone one and five. They also played Texas. They won that game. Uh, you know, so they're, they're two and five against those, those three teams. And I, it just seems like something is missing for, uh, for the Bulldogs in those big moments. I don't know if it's the defense. I don't know if it's just that they're a couple arms short to compete with them. Um, I don't know if you have ideas on what it might be, Joe, but it just seems like this Mississippi State team is missing something. Uh, and, and it may just be, again, that, that they just can't match talent for talent with, with Arkansas and Vanderbilt. But, you know, they're, they're one and five. They're clearly not on their, on their level right now. And frankly, I don't see anything that would suggest they're going to find a way to get to that level over the next six weeks. Yeah. So I don't, 
really necessarily feel qualified to like give an official diagnosis on this, but I, I would posit this maybe as like a thought exercise. So when they've had a lot of success, like when we talked about winning the series against Ole Miss and it was a series before we talked about them, I, I forget. But one of the things that kept coming up is the idea that Mississippi State does a pretty good job. And this is still true, I think, uh, you know, against teams that, that they can handle where they can match talent for talent. They do a pretty good job of just kind of winning the game the way they need to win it. And if that's, look, we're going to have to get a ton of innings from our bullpen, they, they can kind of do that. If they, they seem to be very, very good at coming up with the big hits in the right moments. There seems to be, to the extent that something exists, they, they do t- seem to be a relatively clutch team offensively. But I think the flip side of that is that I think part of the reason why, at least I, I can only speak for myself, part of the reason why I kind of, go back to that position and thinking that way about Mississippi state is I'm also not exactly sure what they hang their hat on. Right. Like it's supposed to be their pitching. It is. That's what it's supposed to be. But like, if you look at what their starters have done recently, like it's really been yeah, it's because their bullpen, yeah. I guess. And I just think it's hard. So like, I think that's right. And, and, but then like outside of Landon Sims, like it, it does feel like, there's at least one or two instances every weekend where they just don't get what they need from a bullpen guy. Like this weekend, you know, Houston Harding was an example where he comes in to stop the bleeding and can't. Um, and I don't mean to pick on him. That's just the example sitting in front of me. So like, I also just think it's hard, like unless you're Arkansas good in the bullpen, like I think it's just hard for that to be what you're hanging your hat on and that to be enough, like your bullpen, right? Like that's just, I think that's, that's of all the different phases, like that is a hard thing to be able to, to really hang your hat on and be national title good. But um, so again, I don't, I don't feel qualified to really give like a, an official diagnosis on this, you know, not watching, you know, every, all 27 innings every weekend. But I, I do wonder if it's just simply like the, the, the kind of things they hang their hat on just aren't enough to be difference makers because with everything else, they're, you know, that they're a solid team, but I'm not sure where the standouts are. Yeah, I mean, their uh, their lineup has some really good core pieces. Rowdy Jordan played really well this weekend. He's continuing to be hot. Um, you know, at Tim Corbin, after the series, mentioned the fact that Jordan and Allen, who are clearly Mississippi State's best hitters, like they've been through this. You're not going to scare them. They've been to Omaha. They've, they've done everything you could want to do as, as college baseball players. Uh, nothing, nothing's going to intimidate them and they're going to be ready to hit. And that's what they do most of the time. But, you know, the same can't necessarily be said for the rest of that lineup. Um, The starting pitching over the last few weeks hasn't been as good as it had been previously. You know, this was supposed to be a a pitching staff that had perhaps the best rotation in the country that just has not materialized in that way. Uh, The bullpen is one of the better bullpens, if Kevin Copps isn't the best reliever in the country, it might be Landon Sims. But yeah, I mean, to your point, like, first of all, is that enough to, even if it were the best bullpen in the country, is it enough to, to make that your thing? And then B, is it actually the best bullpen in the country? And they're a fine defensive team, but not an elite defensive team. And, you know, so I, I think, yeah, ultimately it's a, it's a really good team, but when you're trying to compete against the superpowers, of Arkansas and Vanderbilt, uh, it, it is, you, you can see how they would fall short. And, uh, you know, if you want to see that further, I mean, they, they played six games against those two teams. So, 
you know, go, go and watch any of those games and, you know, it, it, it will become relatively apparent, I think, to, as, as to why, why that has happened. Um, I mean, we've talked a lot about Vanderbilt here. I, I don't know how much left there is to say over, given how much we've talked about them over the last couple of weeks, Joe, but was there, is there anything that stood out for you this weekend for them? You know, whether that's, that's rocker being efficient enough to go nine uh, whether that's what McElvin did on the bullpen on Sunday or, you know, any, any number of their hitters who have, con- I mean, CJ Rodriguez continues to impress me. I, was there anything that, that Vanderbilt did that, that really was uh, a standout for you this weekend? Yeah, I think a couple things quickly. One is that Rocker really seeming to kind of put to rest all of the worries that there were two, three weeks ago about something that might be going on with him. Like it's clear that that was just, you know, that's just life. Like you're going to have bad starts. So I think he has kind of put, fully put that in the, in the rear view mirror. The work of McElveen and, and Maldonado on Sunday was incredible. And that's stuff like that's going to be a huge piece of this Vanderbilt team, as long as they're not sure who their third guy is. And, you know, look, you know, as well as I do, you go into the postseason, and as much as we talk about, well, the, you know, in the regular season, like not that many teams actually have a third guy they trust in the postseason, unless you get behind schedule on in a regional and get into the loser's bracket, third guy arguably becomes even less important in those situations. So, um, so that's, you know, I think that's a big development because I think they're going to need those types of bullpen guys that they know they can, they can turn to for outings like that. One thing I would say on the other side of the spectrum is that, um, you know, this is the second straight start where Jack Leiter's gotten hit a little bit. And we're of course grading on a curve here where his, uh, where he was at before was so, so high that he was inevitably going to disappoint at some point because no one can keep that up, what he was doing for an entire season, especially in the SEC. But it is worth noting and it is worth watching that, you know, he's he's in a territory now where he's never thrown this much. And I'm not, let me be very clear because some people might be hearing me that like, you know, it, it could be like a, an injurious thing for him. I don't mean that at all. I just mean the body. You know, it, it's it's at a point now where he's got more innings and is throwing more pitches than he, than he has before and against elite level competition. And so, you know, at this time of year, you start to wonder about things like, you know, him bouncing back and him being a sharp when he bounces back and maybe being a little more inconsistent as the season goes on. And, and when you combine that with the book being a little more out on him, um, that is something to watch uh, moving forward because, you know, he is still a, a freshman, technically speaking, um, even if that doesn't really matter because he's going to leave for the draft before he exhausts eligibility, yada, yada, yada. But um, that is um, something to watch moving forward is how does, how does he continue to respond as these innings start to, to pile up for him? To, to me, more than that, and not to, not to belittle the importance of the potential freshman wall and, and all the rest of that, because that that's, a, that's a potential thing as well. But I would want to dig into this, and maybe I need to dig into this, um, or at least ask some people over, who, who have really looked at lighter over the last couple of weeks are teams approaching him differently because there's a lot more video on him now. And, you know, SEC teams are very well equipped to find and exploit uh, anything, any little thing that they find. Is that what is happening is that, you know, Tennessee and, and Mississippi state were able to find something and make an adjustment. And now lighter has to adjust back. And can he like, if that's what's happening, um, you know, that's something that happens in, in baseball all the time. Uh, and, you know, now it's going to be on him to, to find something. Or, you know, maybe it's just, look, he was 
pitching otherworldly and now he's merely pitching really, really well, <laughs> um, you know, or maybe not really, really well, just he's pitching. Okay. Um, you know, that that's going to happen too at times in life, but uh, how, how he reacts to this down the stretch uh, is, uh, is going to be important because, you know, Vanderbilt needs him to pitch at a pretty high level to, uh, to reach their ceiling. And now speaking of ceilings, Joe, I, uh, I came to the conclusion this weekend that for the national championship, like I said, it's, it's Arkansas, it's Vanderbilt, and then it's every, everyone else. So Joe, are you taking Arkansas or Vanderbilt or the field right now? So I have to choose one of Arkansas, Vanderbilt, or the field? That's correct. You okay. do not get both the Hogs uh, and the Doors. I'll still take the field. Uh, the field just seems like the smart play, especially when you get into Omaha, because, like, I think about it this way, is, like, any any one person can have a bad day, and, you know, you're one bad start from being in a loser's bracket, and it's just really tough when you get to Omaha and all the teams are good to come back from that. So I'll still take the field, but, man, if, if you'd have packaged the two together, I'd probably go that direction. Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely, definitely go that direction if uh, if I packaged the two together. Um, but I'll I'll go with the Hogs just as is uh, on their own. I'm willing to take them. You know, when you evaluate the field like you do get 291 teams. So there's there's definitely something to be said for that. And like you're saying, you know, like bad days happen, you know, we still have five weeks of or four weeks. Five, five weeks, yes, five weeks of baseball before the NCAA tournament. Like, who knows what can happen in that? You know, teams go up, teams go down, injuries, players get healthy, whatever. Um, but you start looking at the teams that are are in the, the field that are contenders that aren't Arkansas in Vanderbilt. And, you know, we just broke down why Mississippi State isn't beating Arkansas in Vanderbilt right now. Um, you know, Texas would be interesting. Um, very interested to see them play TCU in two weeks. They're, they're playing at a really high level, um, you know, but their offense is still not all that great. Like it's a good offense. It's not a great offense. Is that going to hold them back? Eventually we really like Louisville, but Louisville hasn't been healthy all year long. I, I want to see a fully healthy Louisville. Maybe they will be by the NCAA tournament, but um you know, it also seems like what we've seen to this point is that their pitching isn't what it traditionally is, and that's not going to be good enough, I don't think. Uh, again, maybe fully healthy Louisville is a little bit different, but that's asking a lot at this point. Uh, you know, and, and you can keep going down, down the line. You know, Notre Dame, ECU, they haven't – they've never done it. Um, you know, none of these players has ever done it. And frankly, the coaching staffs don't even have a whole lot of uh, Omaha experience there. So, you know, first team, first timers have been successful. Look at Coastal, look at Michigan, which I know as a program wasn't a first timer, but for those players, it was their first time, uh, you know, playing deep into the NCAA tournament. And, you know, so it's happened recently for those teams, but typically it's really hard for teams that haven't been to Omaha to, you know, come out and, and have success against the more experienced groups. And, you know, I, I mean, I can play this game and I did in off the bat for, you know, just about anyone else in the country. And it, it's just hard to see who it would be. Now, again, they got six, seven weeks to figure this out before they get to Omaha. But, you know, right now, 
it, it just feels hard for me to imagine any team taking down both Vanderbilt and Arkansas, which is probably what they're going to have to do to win a national title. All righty, Joe, let's get out of the SEC. We've talked a lot about it uh, to this point, and let's go to the Big 12. And, you know, the uh, I, I've cited this several times, Texas Tech, just a different team in Lubbock that they hadn't lost a weekend series to uh, in Lubbock since 2018. And that streak came to an end this weekend at the hands of Baylor. And it was a stunning way that it happened. Not only that it was Baylor, uh, which came into the weekend under 500 in Big 12 play, still is under 500 in Big 12 play. I mean, they're the fifth best team in the Big 12 at worst, um, but they are, you know, they weren't, you know, one of those teams that, that looked like they were contending for the Big 12 and, and still aren't. Um, they they got two blowout wins at Texas Tech. Now, this is a beat-up Texas Tech team. They they lost a couple really good players for the rest of the season. Uh, but this was still, I thought, a rather stunning development that the Bears were able to uh, to go into Lubbock and, and really have their way on Friday and Sunday. Yes, absolutely stunning. You know, one one in one game is one thing. Like they're those game types of games just happen, but to come back and do that again on Sunday, incredibly impressive, and and really not that far from being a Baylor sweep. You know, Texas Tech with a late comeback, Braxton Fulford a, a bases loaded double to score three runs and, and hand them the win on Saturday, kind of saved that there. But yeah, just a really impressive weekend for Baylor and big for obviously. Baylor's postseason hopes. This was a team that went one in five against Texas and TCU. And had they lost this series, there was still a path to the postseason because their, their schedule the rest of the way is pretty manageable is Baylor's, but they would have had to do some, some pretty heavy lifting to get there. I think this really, it would have been very bubbly, even if they'd done the lifting you're describing, it would have been like probably bubble in, but like, yeah, we're, we're going to sweat this maybe a little bit if we don't play well in the big 12 tournament. Yeah, like classic bubble in, like borderline two to three seed that, you know, you, you just you don't know much about and they just kind of got in. You know, the classic profile of beat all the teams you should, lost all the teams that were better than you, and that's good enough in a major conference. Like we see those teams every year. So that was exactly the track they were on. And, and now they've, you know, that's still largely the path, but this certainly changed the math a little bit for Baylor. So a big series there for the, and big for the conference because for a while it was kind of looking like, you know, it's four teams probably. And then like that, that might be it. And now this kind of opens the door for there to be, for there to be a fit there. It's a, a Baylor team that I, I feel like I, you know, last night you and I were talking and I said, you know, that this lineup is like full of guys I've, I've never really heard of. And then I kind of went and looked at it a little bit closer. And I guess I kind of undersold that there is still some DNA here from, you know, some of these Baylor teams that have been good in, in recent years with Andy Thomas and, and Davion Downey and, and Chase Wesner and guys like that. And Jared McKenzie's a really good talent. And so you combine that with some younger players who are pretty exciting guys like Trey Richardson, Kyle Nevin, guys like that. And so it's, it, I was probably underselling it a little bit in terms of just the fact that it's a good mix of kind of some younger, more exciting players and some guys who have just kind of been through battles with, with this program. Um, it's a pretty good offense overall. Like their numbers overall are hitting, they're hitting about 300 as a team uh, in conference. Obviously it's not quite that, but that's the way it works in, in major conferences. And the part that seems a little more, I don't want to say smoke and mirrors because that it, in, in, uh, suggests that there's, they're, they're 
getting away with something here, but it, it's unique in college baseball. And this is not a, a strikeout staff. Like this is not an overpowering pitching staff, but they did a really good job against Texas tech. Um, you know, they, they got, you know, the innings they needed out of their starters. They were able to piece it together in the bullpen and they just kind of did enough on the mound. And that would be the area where I think, you know, you, um, I think if you come into a series with Baylor, you feel like you can do some things against that pitching staff, especially once you get past Tyler Thomas on Friday, who's a, a really good arm. Um, and I think that's kind of what I expected here with Texas tech, but then you get to Saturday and, you know, tech didn't really break through until late in the game. And then you get to Sunday and they were stifled uh, from the very beginning and really didn't get going until, you know, it was, it was too late essentially. So um, it was just surprising in just about every way when not only when you consider how well Texas tech plays at home, but also that this particular Baylor team, I would not have guessed would have been the type of team that was built to go into, to go into Lubbock and get it done. I, you know, there are several other teams in the, in the big 12 who are, lesser teams than Baylor who I thought maybe, or at least similar teams to Baylor in terms of wins and losses that I thought would be better equipped to get this done. But it was, it was Baylor that did it. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, you know, we saw TCU not be able to do this just, just a couple of weeks ago. And then, then Baylor turns around and does it is, uh, is very surprising. And, you know, tech had gone to Morgantown a week ago and gotten a tough series win against West Virginia after hearing all the news about the, that injury stuff, just having dealt with it. And, um, you know, I thought like, okay, well maybe, you know, it's clearly a big deal and, and it's going to affect them at some point, but you know, maybe it, it doesn't have to change their outlook in the big 12. Maybe they can still compete for the big 12 title. Uh, but, you know, really after, if you combine this result and what happened in Stillwater with uh, Texas beating Oklahoma state, any thoughts of, any team other than Texas or TCU winning the big 12, I I think are over. And, you know, tech has that trip to Austin this weekend. Uh, You know, the red Raiders are still in a position to host a regional, but this weekend just became a lot bigger from that aspect. Um, They could really, really use something to to offset this series loss um, in Austin. If they're, they're going to get that, that regional in Lubbock again this year. And this, again, combine these two results and in two weeks, Texas goes to Fort Worth. And no matter what happens this weekend, um, you know, even if UT loses that series in Austin, uh, that is a massive showdown. It's going to be for the big 12 title um, in Lupton in a couple of weeks. So, I mean, we'll, we'll get into that plenty then, um, you know, but impressive weekend for Baylor and, you know, a, a good showing for, for UT up in Stillwater as well. Uh, we'd mentioned before that they played a softer Big 12 schedule than some of the other contenders that kind of changed this weekend, having to go up to Stillwater and them coming away with a, a big doubleheader sweep on Saturday to uh, to clinch the series. Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, you're, you're, you're right. Like we're looking at a two horse race here and, um, you know, that, that series is, I think going to, it it was looking like it might be a little bit of like a gauntlet situation, you know, with Texas, but uh, obviously Texas tech having lost the series coming into the weekend takes a little bit of the juice out of that. Um, But, but still we're looking ahead to that series and it would be, you know, a very Texas tech thing, I think to, to give the Longhorns all they can handle and challenge to, to win that series. I would, I would agree with that. We'll, uh, we'll probably break that down on the Thursday podcast as we, uh, as we preview, what looks to be a bit of a lighter 
college baseball slate coming up this weekend, but uh, you know, we'll see, we'll still get excited about these series. They just, we don't have a top 10 series this week and uh, Baylor beating Texas tech is a big part of the reason why. <laughs> um, all right, Joe, let's swing over to the ACC as always this season, the ACC provided uh, any number of things for us to talk about. Uh, none of them at this point of the season, I didn't think were overly uh, you know, stunning or massively changing anyone's uh, season, I don't think. But still, um, the most significant result, I think, was probably NC State sweeping Virginia Tech in Raleigh. That puts NC State really back on track to make the NCAA tournament, uh, which is really significant. They had not looked um, like they were on that track for the first uh couple months of the season, I guess. Uh, they dealt with some COVID issues, some off-the-field issues, but NC State seems like they're rounding into form here at, uh, at the right time. So that's really big. Uh, Clemson got a, a needed sweep of Wake Forest to keep its own NCAA tournament hopes alive. Florida State went into Atlanta, uh, won a series against Georgia Tech uh, in what may have ended up being the series of the weekend from on a paper standpoint after Louisville and Pitt got canceled. That frankly may have been the most significant thing that happened because Louisville misses out on an opportunity to improve its RPI uh, against Pitt and Pitt misses out on an opportunity to, you know, add something marquee uh, to its hosting resume. And then uh, the other ACC series, uh, UNC gets a nice series win against Miami and Notre Dame continues to remain undefeated on in in series this season because they scored 12 runs in the eighth inning against BC to come back and win the rubber game on Saturday. I was full, full disclosure. They are the Oba Irish. I never don't believe in them, but I was starting to look at like, okay, can I complete the ACC wheel of chaos now? If, uh, if Boston college finishes this out, um, and, uh, I, I didn't get a chance to finish it because, uh, Notre Dame finds a way to, to win yet again. And they are, they are 18 and eight in the ACC and, um, you know, Louisville has a, a better winning percentage by eight thousandth of a percentage point, but, uh, Notre Dame still very much on track to host a regional in South Bend. Yeah, absolutely. And the, uh, you know, who is probably particularly excited about Notre Dame hosting a regional is uh, the selection committee, because it is, it, it will kind of help them in a situation where otherwise they might be looking at maybe reaching for a big 10 team or finding some other team in the region to uh, send some of these Midwestern and, and, you know, East coast mid and, and low majors. Too. You know, so, Wright state has a top 16 RPI. So that's all I'm going to say about there that. It is. I mean, look no further, I would say. So uh, the committee has to be pretty excited about, you know, Notre and, and Pitt, by the way, if Pitt continues to, to trend in the right direction, like they might really, I don't want to say let them off the hook, but they might make the decision kind of easy for the selection committee and not having to, to reach for anything in particular from a geographic standpoint, if that is something they would do. And, and we still don't, we still don't know. We just don't exactly know how they're going to handle this situation. So that is obviously further discussions down the road. I thought, I think you're right. I think the, the perhaps the biggest result, maybe I'm being myopic about it because I've, I'm looking at writing about that this week is, is NC state getting back up off the mat and 
and sweeping that series against Virginia Tech, which puts them firmly back on the path to being in the postseason, like you said. And it's kind of funny in this season of the ACC having these weird resumes where, you know, Notre Dame and Pitt have earned their resumes, but certainly at the beginning of the season, we would have looked kind of strange at that, that those teams have top 25 RPIs and are leading the divisions and, um, you know, are, are on pace to do what the types of things that we're predicting they will do. But then you've got these other resumes like Louisville's that are just really weird where it's, you know, clearly one of the better teams in the ACC, clearly a team that should be in line to host, but has an RPI that just in a normal year would definitely not get them there. And yet you have NC state who has like literally the platonic ideal of a bubble team resume where it's 500 in ACC play and an RPI of 45, like just exactly right where a bubble team normally is. And uh, so let yeah, me they, tell you that RPI of 45 this year, if they can hold it there, that's going to look fantastic. On oh yeah. Monday. By comparison. Yeah. That's like an easy two right there. Yeah. That's just, um, so they, they had just have this, this, uh, they're right on the money in terms of, of uh, what they need to do. You know, Virginia is kind of, I was kind of tracking both NC state and Virginia because I thought, you know, if both those teams kind of do it, you know, sweep those series, like that's, that might be the story instead of just one of these teams. So Virginia did what it needed to do to win that series against Duke, but man, a, a sweep would have gotten a lot further in that, in that direction. We've talked before about the path Virginia has to getting back into the postseason, which I think is still, still somewhat, somewhat plausible, but it is tenuous still. Yes, I did forget to mention that Virginia won series against Duke. They've won, what is it now, three of their last four. And, um, you know, the one series loss is Louisville. It's, uh, it's a massive series this weekend in Blacksburg for them. Uh, I mean, they still close just fine against Wake and, and BC. So there are probably wins to be had there against the two worst teams in the conference. Uh, and, and I still feel really good about UVA figuring it out and getting in. But this weekend, uh, they have a chance to uh, to really take a you know further step towards uh, comfortably getting in the tournament. I would say. Yeah, and it, it's you know it's a team that it feels like they need that. Uh, whereas this weekend, NC State you know just made a big statement with the sweep. Like that's really kind of what's been missing so far for UVA is just that that sweep that really kind of turns the tide on the record because you're that, that's where you really start making some hay is when you can get some of those sweeps and perhaps those are those are still on the way but um kind of a strange season in the ACC continues and I, I wonder this is a bigger discussion than what we should probably be doing here today but I do wonder in some ways I think Notre Dame and, and Pitt being these really in part because of and then maybe um well I'm not sure exactly how to phrase it but with Notre Dame and Pitt being these really good stories and to some degree, Virginia tech, I suppose, like I think has maybe created like a situation where, you know, the ACC, you know, fairly mediocre season in a lot of cases. And the fact that Notre Dame has been so good. And in part of that is probably because the ACC has been relatively mediocre overall to where a good team like Notre Dame is able to get to the next level by feasting a little bit on it. Um, you know, if, if Notre Dame and Pitt weren't as good and talented as they are to really take advantage of that, like, I'm not really sure what we'd be looking at with the ACC this year. That's a good point. I mean, three of the top four teams in the, the two divisions are Pitt, Virginia Tech, and Notre Dame. And um, I'm pretty sure Notre Dame's the most recent NCAA tournament team of that group, and that was 2015. Um it's just been a long time for any of those teams. Pitt, obviously, the longest of any and the least history of any. Um, 
yeah, I mean, you'd be looking at Louisville and just wondering, like, what is going on? And uh, you know, so maybe maybe this is a really good thing for the conference. Um, I do think Louisville and Florida State are pretty legit. I think what Florida State did this weekend in Atlanta was really impressive. They really took it to Georgia Tech in the first two games. And, you know, Georgia Tech's hard to going to be hard to sweep at home. Um, you know, so they won the third game. And uh, that was actually Danny Hall's 1300th victory of his career. And there was a fun celebration video as he was doing his press conference. The Yellow Jackets uh, came and mobbed him, uh, I guess, in his office, wherever he does media from. Uh, that, that was pretty cool video that Georgia Tech threw up on Twitter. Um, yeah, so they, they have some good teams here. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that you're, you're probably onto something, Joe, that, that Notre Dame and Pitt being the stories that they are is uh, it's helping to paper over some things in this conference. As we talk, like I have one of the UNC Miami games from this weekend on TV and, you know, Miami after losing this weekend in Chapel Hill, no shame in that, but they're now 14 and 12 in the conference, 22 and 13 overall. You consider what happened on opening weekend, how exciting that was and think about where they could be. Um, you know, they, uh, their RPI is the second best in the ACC right now. Only Notre Dame has a better RPI than the Miami, but they're, it doesn't really feel like they're in the hosting mix at all because they're just so far in the middle of the ACC standings. And, you know, I, you think about what could have been for the Canes if they just avoid a couple of these series losses. And, you know, I think that's kind of emblematic of the conference overall. I mean, UNC has some of the, the same deal that I'm describing for Miami, just a slightly worse RPI because they didn't get a, a road series win against uh, an SEC team to open the season. Yeah, I think that's just, I think that's exactly it is you can, you can really get down the rabbit hole of looking at teams resumes and, you know, saying that, you know, well, this, you know, this, this, this team's resume is based on this series win against this team. And now we know that team isn't as good as they were, but then you look at that team and you can play the same game. And that's like a totally different wheel with the ACC here that <laughs> these resumes all kind of cannibalize each other, which I guess is what happens when you play as many conference games. But you and I have done that game a lot when we start trying to rank teams every week is that, you know, there's every one of these teams has something about their resume that, is somewhat fraudulent because of what we know now. And, and every team kind of has something that could be used as a trump card against someone else. And, um, you know, ultimately I think we'll remember this ACC season probably for a number of things, but depending on how these teams do in the postseason, like that's kind of what it comes down to. Well, the Omaha Irish going to, to that's Omaha. Right. That's right. They fulfill their destiny. But we, I mean, we do this with conferences all the time. Like how often do you, when, when we talk for the millionth time about the plight of the big West, how often do big West supporters come back with, well, but you know, they keep getting teams to Omaha, you know, so that, I mean, that ends up being kind of the right or wrong, the be all end all that, that people throw around. So how they, how these teams finish in the postseason, I think will have a little bit of bearing on how we remember it. All right, Joe, let's, uh, let's move on here and let's talk about Fairfield and how, how to talk to everyone, how to talk to your children about 25 and 0 Fairfield, number two in the RPI, and now number 23 in the Baseball America Top 25. The Stags are ranked for the first time in program history um, in any national publication, as I, uh, as I learned 
today via Fairfield, not just not just in the Baseball America poll, but in any national publication. This is their first first ranking. Joe, I, if uh, if we're being honest here, and we talk about you know Georgia Tech, who, who we were just talking about, they drop out of the top twenty-five this week. If we put Georgia Tech and Fairfield on a neutral, I'm probably taking Georgia Tech to win the series. But we've talked all season long about how I wanted to make, I wanted to make anyway, the BA top 25, a little more resume based. And look, I can no longer deny that Fairfield has one of the best, that one of the 25 best resumes in the country. There's a zero in the loss column. And is the conference that Fairfield plays in particularly good? No, it's not. They are not playing non-conference games. We have nothing to compare them against. It's a it's completely insular system there. But they've won 25 straight games, and they have not lost this season. And frankly, against any sort of competition, if you're doing that, you know we gotta we gotta pay attention. And this week, uh, that meant that that Fairfield moves into the top 25. And they are just clearly so much better than the rest of the conference. Like I, I wrote about this in the top 25 capsule. I wrote about it in our, our roundup on Friday night, like they just pick any stat and they're just absolutely dominating the opposition in it. They're just, uh, just a cut above. And like, I guess that goes without saying that's the reason they're, they're 25 and oh, but I think if, if you're the type of person who's out there and is poo-pooing on Fairfield being in the top 25, like, try, like, first of all, try to have a little fun in your life, honestly, because like that you're taking, you're taking the top 20. I don't want to undercut the work we do here. This is truly not what I mean by this, but if you're going to complain about Fairfield being 23rd in the top 25, because they're not probably not technically one of the top 20, the best 25 teams in college baseball, like you're taking the top 25 a little too seriously and literally like, I think we can use sometimes use the top 25 while evaluating resumes and trying to put the best teams in and really spending a lot of time. Anyone who would, if you were able to tap your way into the phone calls today and I have on Sunday night, you would know the kind of care and effort we put into this weekly. However, I think there is room in the top 25 to just kind of celebrate things sometimes. And I don't think we're, I don't, you know, I, I think we're in a position to admit that part of this is just kind of like, look at this team that's undefeated throughout the season, just like you said, and celebrate that by putting them in the top 25, because it, it is not the 25, but if you were to put together a top 25 of the 25 best teams in college baseball right now, Auburn might be on that list because they're playing well and just kind of keep losing games because the sec is tough so like we, we can't do it that way you know so sometimes you have to pull in teams from from different places and i think if we're if, if we're not going to rank this team uh that is doing this in this particular year in a week by the way that we had to bring in five new teams um you know when were we going to do it so it was just i think it was the right time to do it um i think it's the right thing to do to celebrate how good this team has been um and i think it's you know, I, I understand that, that the argument that is correct, by the way, that Fairfield is probably not one of the 25 best teams in college baseball, but they also at the same time are right to be in this top 25. Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously it's strange that they're not playing non-conference games, because if you look at Jackson State, which is 18 and 0 in SWAC play, 22 and 8 overall. Uh, I'm sure if you pull up their SWAC numbers, you can view something similar to what's happening uh, to, you know, just how badly they're beating up on other SWAC teams. But they do have an eight in the loss column. And like, that's not really 
through any fault of their own, like, you know, okay, like you lose some non-conference games. It happens. One of those non-conference losses, for instance, is Mississippi State. Like, I just happen to know that that happened. Maybe they lost to Ole Miss, too. I have no idea. But, you know, Fairfield didn't do that for reasons, like not through – it's not their choice that they're only playing – conference games i'm sure they would love to be playing non-conference games but you know again it's it's a zero in the loss column after 25 games like i I think we just kind of have to respect that and i mean i i keep talking about the zero and you might say well what if there was only a one there what if they were 24 and one would they be ranked like i don't know i i i I don't know i don't have to think about that though because they went out and they went 25 straight games and uh it's uh it's impressive and and so they're they're into the top 25 and congrats to the Stags. I have literally no idea what the committee is going to do to them or do with them. I'm sure they won't post. I don't even know if Fairfield submitted a bid. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna follow up on that uh, either. I don't think because they're 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 not hosting. I, I cannot I cannot imagine a, a situation where that happens. Uh, can they be a two seed? I don't know. Bryant was a two seed a couple of years ago with some ridiculous record, but Bryant also had played non conference games. So I don't know. It's yeah. uh, it's uncharted territories uncharted waters here uh but i do think that we're not looking at a four seed with fairfield i I think that assuming this continues and that they go on and and win the auto bid because that's going to be probably a requirement here um i'm not saying they have to stay undefeated but if they they just avoid more than a couple losses like uh, they can probably be a three seed and if they went into it undefeated like eh, why not one out of two we'll see Yep. There's definitely been, I mean, you mentioned Bryant, um, you know, I think that year they're, well, I was going to reference their RPI, but obviously Fairfield has that going in their favor too, but you know, they, they Which is a different discussion. Like, look, it's an insular system. RPI does not work. I like, I cannot stress this enough. If you don't play any t- other teams outside of your conference, outside of your, your ecosystem and no teams in your conference play outside of that ecosystem, RPI does not work. What Fairfield is, is the top RPI team in the MAAC. Are they the number two RPI team in the country? Yes, because RPI is too dumb to acknowledge what is happening here, but they shouldn't be. Anyway, continue. They tricked the computers. They um, did. They literally did. This is this is a true computer trickery. Yeah. They, um, but I think Southern with Ricky Weeks, I think, was a two um, back way back then. So that's another example of like, super small, typically not very good conference, having one, you know, incredible team that was able to kind of rise above. So I, th- I think a two is on the table, especially if that number in the lost column is a zero or a one in particular. So yeah, we'll have to say I'm fascinated. I really truly am fascinated. I, I want to see Fairfield in the postseason, so I'm not wishing for this, but I would be fascinated to know if their, their only losses come in the Metro Atlantic tournament, what their at-large resume ends up being evaluated as. That, As that, I, I recall, the MAAC is doing series in their tournament, right? So, like, yep. that actually makes it far more likely that they avoid any sort of tournament upset. Yeah, I would, I would think so. Yeah, it's a, it's like basically kind of like the, the Patriot League does. I think is, is my yeah. understanding of what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, so that's you know over a couple weekends they're playing series and right. uh, that it's just going to be really hard for any of these teams to uh, to stop Fairfield. I mean the second best team in the conference is probably Monmouth and Fairfield has already swept them. So uh, I, I don't, I don't see anyone stopping them. I probably would predict they would lose a game at some point here. Just it's baseball. 
Like, are they really going to be 40 and 0 in the regular season? And then I guess 44 and 0 if you throw in the conference tournament like that just doesn't feel likely. But, you know, also, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> We're on this ride together, folks. <laughs> uh, all right. So we've uh, we've talked a long time already, uh, but I just want to briefly touch on UC Irvine beating Oregon State in what, for my money, was the best most, or I shouldn't say the best, the most entertaining series of the weekend. I watched way more of this on ESPN3 than I would have anticipated going into it, but it was because the games were also compelling. And also, like, frankly, I don't have a ton of opportunities to watch either Irvine or Oregon State as easily as I did this weekend. Um, you know, I know I can go find the Pac-12 games on, on my computer, but like, it's just so much easier when I can just put them on the TV. Anyway, uh extra innings, walk-offs, like it was, it was all there. Like Oregon state had a great comeback on Friday. They didn't get a great start from Abel. Uh, they came back, wanted in extras. And then uh, Irvine walked off with wins the next two weekend or the next two games. And this was a, a matchup of what started teams that started the weekend in first place in the big West and PAC 12 uh, respectively. We didn't think Oregon state was the best PAC 12 team. Uh, I think that's been borne out here, not just with this loss, but also Arizona and Oregon by virtue of, of continuing to play in the conference and Arizona swept USC and Oregon won two out of three against UCLA. They have moved ahead of the Beavers now in the standings. I think that's appropriate for where teams relatively are in the Pac-12, but still, you know, Oregon State came into the weekend in first place in the Pac-12. Irvine sure seems like it's solidified itself as the best team in the big West. And uh, I, the anteaters are legit and I really, really enjoyed watching this series. So shouts to the eaters and to the beeves for putting on a great show this weekend at Irvine. Yeah, it certainly goes up there. The other series I would nominate, cause I'm, I'm with you. I watched some of this as well, just because it, they were so compelling. The other series I would put here is the season opening series between Tulane and, and uh, the Raging Cajuns that I think all three of those games went to extra innings. They were, and they were kind of wild. So th those two series, I think are the two most competitive series we've seen all season. I'm sure there's some, something out there that I'm missing because I just didn't see it. It wasn't on my radar, but. Uh, I mean, probably I, was, I wasn't thinking that big, but you know, you're, you you might be onto something here with, uh, with this series and, and that series being two of the, the, most competitive ones of the of the season. You're right. That that I remember talking about that Tulane and ULL series. It was uh, it was wild. Yeah, and the fact that you know for we've both we've doubted like Tulane and, and UL being good or not, and now they both seem like they're they're some you know some version of of being pretty good teams. So I think that adds a little bit to it. But anyway, back back on point with with UC Irvine. Um, this team is is kind of fascinating too because it's not it's not really built like UC Irvine so often is. Now the pitching is pretty good when it's on, but Pitching has, if anything, maybe the rotation has actually been like not quite as good as you would have expected. And the offense has picked up a lot of that slack. This is actually on the spectrum of UC Irvine offense. This is a pretty physical group. Um, you know, Dylan Tatum, who had a, you know, a big home run in that series, uh, 11 home runs on the year. Like you just don't often see numbers like that in the home run column for a guy at UC Irvine. So I think it's a, a team that I think could compete well in the postseason because so often we see these teams pitching centric teams from the big West, they go to an environment where that style doesn't necessarily translate as well. And they really kind of struggle in that situation. And I think this is a team that is maybe equipped to, to 
be able to be a little more pliable with how they win games in the postseason. Well, the highly unfortunate thing about this is that Irvine's probably ticketed to be the two in Tucson. So uh, mm, you know, good luck yeah, with all of that. Yeah. But if they can somehow avoid that that fate, um, you know, we'll uh, or maybe they can just go bat for bat with the Wildcats. We'll see. But uh, you know, it, regardless, impressive series win this weekend. We'll have plenty of time to analyze the the Eaters' postseason prospects. Uh, but if they are able to finish in the big West and, you know, the Gauchos are sure look like the, the second best team, uh, but they've been shaky at times this season. They've just played a really competitive series of their own at Long Beach state. That was a fun finish um, because they were playing an ESPN U. I honestly have no, cha- no idea what channel I was watching at the end of last night, uh, but they finished the night and they're playing extra innings. And uh, if you weren't watching Dodgers Padres and you instead were watching uh chose dirtbags. I think you made the right choice. That's what I'm going to tell myself anyway. And uh, that, that was a pretty entertaining series. But again, I, Irvine hasn't been tested or, or pushed, I should say, to the extent that the Gauchos have been uh, so far in Big West play this season. And you see that with the Big West record, with Irvine having a bit of a cushion there uh, on first place. Um, those two teams will meet in a few weeks. So we'll, uh, we'll get to see a play out on the field. But for right now, anyway, the eaters sure look like uh, the the favorites in the big West. All right. That's going to do it for us today on the baseball America college podcast. We, uh, we covered an awful lot. It was uh, it was a really fun weekend of college baseball around the country. There's plenty more over on the website. If you want to check that out at baseballamerica.com. Joe and I will be back here later this week with another edition of the baseball America college podcast, previewing the coming, the weekend to come uh, around the country and talking about whatever else, uh, whatever other news items come up here over the rest of the week. So make sure you are subscribed to the baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. Want to thank you all for listening. Thank you to Rap Soto for presenting this and every edition of the Baseball America College podcast. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll see you next time.